MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You see it all the time in film and fiction. There is a ticking clock and uh, a hard-nosed law enforcement uh, investigator has to bend the rules, break the lines, perhaps engage in torture for the greater good. That's what tonight's classic episode is about. That's what the series 24 is all about. (laughs) It really is, Matt. It really is. The question, though, is in real life, does torture actually work? Do all these arguments we hear or heard about places like Guantanamo Bay, do they bear results? But hey, listening to the episode uh, isn't torture at all. It's quite pleasant. So uh, let's jump right in. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel, the Iron Maiden Brown. They called me Ben. We are joined with our returning super producer, Paul Deccant. Uh, and most importantly, you are here. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, by the uh, self-described moniker, one of our co-hosts just added, you you may sense a bit of foreshadowing in today's episode. Uh, today's episode is a little dark, but let's get into it with an anecdote. I get uh, adequate food, and adequate clothing, and medical care when I require it. The voice you just heard was Admiral Jeremiah Denton of the United States Navy. On July 18, 1965, his U.S. Navy jet was shot down while leading an air attack over North Vietnam. He was captured and he remained in the country as a prisoner of war until 1973. It's quite a long time. Now, 
after like during that first full year that he was a prisoner of war, he was interviewed for this propaganda piece mm. essentially uh, from the North Vietnamese. He was filmed uh, being interviewed by a member of the Japanese press and during this interview, he states – Several things that you heard. Um, he's getting adequate food and clothing and medical care um, and also that he supports the United States government and all of its actions. And that's probably not something that his captors wanted him to say mm. if it truly was a propaganda piece, which it appears to be. Um, but here's the thing. What you can't see because you're not watching the film is that he is blinking all the while that he's talking and what he is spelling out is actually Morse code and he's spelling out the word torture. And uh, we actually have a quick clip here of what that would sound like. And this stuck out to the analyst on Uncle Sam's side because they knew that Denton did not have some sort of medical condition that would cause him to blink erratically. Absolutely. And when the U.S. Naval Intelligence got a hold of this, this was the first time they had had any kind of communication from one of these prison camps uh, that was existing in, in North Vietnam that actually stated in any way that they were being tortured, that the American POWs were being tortured. And he's doing this repeatedly in different interviews or is this all in one sit-down? This is one sit-down, but okay. he is just continually spelling the word mm, torture. Mm -hmm. yeah. And wow. these propaganda videos were relatively – common in this age from different governments where you would have someone say, yes, we are being treated well, uh, we are being taken care of, when multiple outside sources suspected that this was not the case. Today's episode is diving into dark and grisly territory. And we would like all of you, friends, neighbors, conspiracy realists, and skeptics alike, to know up front that this show is going to contain graphic descriptions of horrific physical and mental abuse. You see, today we are exploring the past, the present, and the future of torture. Given the ubiquitous nature of torture throughout human history, even before recorded human history, uh, because we were as a species torturing each other before we were writing things down, we won't be delving into too many specific cases, but we will inevitably run into several strange examples of this practice. So here are the facts. First things first, what, what's the operative definition of torture? Yeah, torture is um, the deliberate infliction of physical and or – I mean I guess it could be one of the other – psychological pain with the purpose of obtaining information or extorting a confession from the victim and thus enabling a conviction. It can also be the penalty itself. Um, and I get that that's like a, a, a good cut and dry definition of it. Don't some people torture just for the sheer – thrill of doing it with no end game in mind? Well, a lot of this comes from the UN outlining exactly what torture mm. is uh, in 1984, I believe. Right, right. The, uh, the acronym UNCAT, which might be the only funny thing about this episode, uh, which we will dive into. And that's a great point because this sounds uh, on the surface like a pretty solid definition. But of course, not everyone agrees with it. Because there is torture simply for sadistic purposes, typically not from a state 
level mm-hmm. actor. It would be someone who wants to torture someone and maybe they're doing it while employed by the state, but they're getting their own dark giggles in the process. And then what about the difference between state-sponsored torture and enhanced interrogation? Right. Right. Is this a brand name difference? Is there uh, is it a matter of degree or are they fundamentally different things? Experts like G.R. Scott, who in the late 19th century wrote a book about torture, says that it's devilishly easy to make a definition of torture that's either too narrow, only a specific kind of thing can be considered torture, or it's too wide in scope. You know, like uh, I was – I was tortured because I had to listen to someone tell me yet again the plot of Looper. That's Mm. not quite torture. I mean, maybe it is if they just do it forever for a year. But for today's purposes, we're going to go with the definition that Noel just mentioned earlier. The systematic use of torture in criminal procedures or criminal proceedings dates back to some of our earliest civilizations, and it's creepy when you think about it. Scenes depicting torture can be found on different monuments, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, In everywhere in these ancient areas from Mesopotamia, Egypt, Mm -hmm. all over. Yeah, and the the first records of a legal application of torture – to prove something, to prove guilt or innocence, were found in the Sumerian Code of Ur-Nimmu. It's around the 21st century BCE. And then the Babylonian Code of Hammurabi uh, in the 18th century BCE again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the procedure described the, the divine judgment of the water ordeal. Yeah. which is what it's torture. Uh, and as this practice became increasingly codified, because it was already common, right, in different raiding parties from tribes and so on, as it became part of the rule of law, the administration of torture took different directions depending on the civilization. So ancient Greeks and Romans used it for interrogation. And this is really interesting because this is something that haunts us, I would argue, in the current age. Until the second century AD, torture was only supposed to be used on slaves, with some notable exceptions. In fact, a slave's testimony in any sort of legal proceeding was only admissible if they had been tortured first. That's insane. Yeah, that's the assumption is that you couldn't trust slaves to reveal the truth of their own Accord. That is messed up on so many levels. It is because can you imagine being a slave and saying, yes, I know I saw, you know, Sabat or whatever take the water jug. And like, look, we believe you, but I unfortunately, I am going to have to break like one of your hands. Well, and then are you sure you saw him take it? Mm -hmm. Are you sure and continue breaking until the person says no? Well, and I'm sure we're going to get into this later, but it's like now we know that torture – typically renders uh, accounts unreliable, right? Because you're going to say whatever it takes to make them stop. Oh, we're going to get into that Mm. on exactly how reliable or not torture techniques are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this idea, though, this fundamental Mm -hmm. assumption about the efficacy of torture is like a a concept that haunts humanity like a ghost. And it, it, the consequences of this philosophy remain with us today and have been here for millennia. In in some areas of the world, acts of torture were grouped into different categories. 
you would have something like first, second, or third degree. And they were, they were rated in terms of pain. And unlike the modern way that degrees are interpreted in the legal system of the U.S. today, like first degree murder is worse than second degree murder. Yeah, it's just right? flip that. Just flip it, flip it. So first degree torture in this kind of system would be something that causes pain but does not permanently mutilate the body, such as whipping or the many variations thereof or just, you know, beating the ever-loving snot out of someone. One variation of whipping would be something called bastinado or falica. It's foot whipping. So it sounds silly at first when, when you're thinking, oh, you're just slapping someone's feet. No, their feet were ripped to shreds and they needed these to walk. Uh, so that's the first degree. And the second degree ups the ante quite a bit, I would say. And this is where you'll find things like uh, vices or racks, things that um, either crush or, you know, like stretch to the point of not killing but mm -hmm. pretty much mutilating someone. Uh, these are like screw presses. Ugh. Uh, yeah, where you, where your thumbs would be crushed or toes or really any, you know, knees, feet, teeth, any kind of way, basically. That's where you get to second degree, where the, you're not going to look and function the same after you've been tortured. And you, you may well die, but uh, they're not purposely they're deciding not, yeah. to kill you. And that's exactly. like one where they would like put you on the rack and like stretch you to the point where your bones would break and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. is, that is that second? Mm -hmm. Or what – yeah, or what would be called maybe uh, a, a restraint position mm -hmm. like uh, the so-called Palestinian hanging. Mm -hmm. uh, but these both, while horrific, pale in comparison to the third degree. Yeah, the third degree is where it really starts to make your skin crawl. This is the kind of torture that was the most insidious and dangerous of all um, utterly nightmare fuel. Uh, the kind of stuff that you hear in fiction that you're, you would almost question who would come up with this idea. It's all very creative stuff too. So we're talking spikes and blades and boiling oil and, and fire and things with names that alone will just send shivers up your spine. Like the serrated iron tongue shredder. Not an ironic name. No, either. the hot copper basin for a bassination. Mm. The that's the word of the day, destroying yes. someone's eyesight. That's right. Mm. Uh, and oh, and the stocks that forcibly held the victim's feet over red hot coals, um, and then yeah, until the the skin and the foot muscles were burnt black and the bones completely uh, turned to powder. Wow, the feet were the skin of the feet were also coated in lard beforehand. Mm which is an extra gruesome detail. And what what we just described on that third degree, it's very clear that uh, especially before the advent of modern medicine, someone's chances of surviving any of those was remarkably slim. Just the infection. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. The huh. infection, the, the bleeding out from these various wounds. And it's one of those things too where unless they needed to keep you alive because they really wanted to continue to extract information mm -hmm. from you, it's not like they were going to give you any kind of medical attention right away unless it was you know worth their while to do so, right? They might have someone pray for you, but that person might be praying while they're doing that thing too. One like yeah. equals one prayer. <laughs> and the worst thing is that it's not – for me, the worst thing is that it's not just for interrogation purposes. Sometimes – 
the whole reason that a human being would have to go through this is so that what, whatever group is doing the torturing can set an example mm-hmm. for what happens if you either defy the group in power sure. or, or even just some kind of dissenter from mm-hmm. the group in power. Um, that that bothers me to no end. The people are starving and there's a widespread theft of grain mm-hmm. and someone says, well, we need the bulk of these serfs or peasants or whatever to survive and to farm land. So let's just publicly eviscerate one of them. Just so they know. Literally, not just give them a good talking to. Right. Eviscerate their flesh. Leave the head somewhere visible. A pike perhaps. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can get into arguments about controlling a population through fear or mm. through, you know, the various ways that you can do that from a high level. But man, it just seems too brutal to make much sense. And the type of abuse administered here would typically depend on the setting, the transgression, the social status of the victim. So for example, in Europe, Elizabeth Bathory or Elizabeth Bathory, I because of her high station, was not murdered or burned at a stake or impaled. She was walled into a room where she didn't starve to death. She was fed until she died. She was put on, not to be too glib about it, permanent timeout or solitary confinement. And people would argue that that sort of injustice or inequality of consequence uh, occurs today. I think that the four of us would largely agree that Mm -hmm. is the case, uh, at least here in the States. And for centuries and centuries, various civilizations across the globe, we all just sort of took it for granted that uh, horrific physical degradations, mutilations, and abuses were par for the course when it came to dissent, a crime, or even rubbing the wrong important person the wrong way. If we fast forward to the modern day, humanity started to realize this is a problem. Yeah, where where do you think it clicked for humanity, Ben? Uh, in the World Wars. Yeah. Yeah, in the World Wars. Uh, that's, I, I believe, when the public around the world said, what charnel houses, what abattoirs are we building, mm-hmm. you know? And that was a primary impetus for the United Nations to codify protections against torture. And as you had said, Matt, this didn't happen actually happen or get adopted into law until the 1980s. Okay, so it took a long time for it to click for humanity. Right. It, well, it took a long time for them to make it official. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, you know, and there are things before. There are rules of engagement for war, treatment mm-hmm. of POWs, but the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, commonly known as UNCAT or the United Nations Convention Against Torture, wasn't adopted until 1984. It was ratified in 1987. And so they used a definition that's a little bit different from the one we used at the top. Yeah, this comes from Article 1 of the convention. Quote, for the purpose of this convention, the term torture means any act by which severe pain or suffering, whether physical or mental, is intentionally inflicted on a person for such purposes as obtaining from him or a third person information or a confession, punishing him for an act he or a third person has committed or is suspected of having committed or intimidating or coercing him or a third person or for any reason based on discrimination of any kind when such pain or suffering is inflicted by or at the instigation of or with the consent 
or acquiescence of a public official for other person acting in an official capacity. It does not include pain or suffering arising only from, inherent in, or incidental to lawful sanctions. Tut, tut, tut. Can you unpack that for us, Ben? I I read it, but I I don't think I I took it in. Well, one of the big things there is that right at the end, putting in lawful sanctions. So if it's – if it's part of the law in the country where this is occurring as this is the type of punishment, it feels like there's a lot of wiggle room there. Right. We can see the problems with this. So three of the big things that happen, Noel, you you point you made the excellent point about a third person that shows up. Because there are people who will gladly die for a cause, but they don't want their children or their spouse to. Mm. And then the Second huge point about this is the involvement of a public official or someone acting in an official capacity. So this is banning state-sponsored acts of this sort of violence. This is not banning uh, – this is not specifically meant to target, you know, the day Matt snaps and uh, abducts someone. OK, getting the, getting the crazy eyes. Sorry, Matt. Moving on. What would it take? What would it take for a mat snap? A mat snap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You don't know. Maybe that's it. You just, you don't know. Yeah. It's probably happen. someone harming my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't I don't know that I would abduct anybody. I, I thank I, you, Ben. I feel like you I feel like you know exactly what the the line on mat snap is, and God hope we never cross it. We want to be absolutely clear, of course. Noel, I think you can agree with me here that uh, of the three of us, Matt is probably the nicest, like legitimately, and not not prone to abducting people. Well, of course he's not prone, but when the snap <laughs> happens, man, stand back. I guess you never know when when a snap occurs. That's the nature of it. It's very much the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could happen to any of us, and we all have our limits. And that's why I think it's interesting you brought up the third party situation because th- that is. Uh, a, 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 a it's it's dirty pool, my man. You know, taking someone's loved ones and you know using them as a as a tool to extract information out of someone that is just like the most horrific thing that you could possibly do. I think you know, or even just like a co-pilot or a partner mm-hmm. or someone who's in the same squad as you, or you know, right. something to that effect. Because yeah. now you're responsible for the life of another. Mm-hmm. So. Ethically, it puts someone in the position where they have to ask, am I committing murder by inaction? But the third the third point – so the first point is the thing about a third party. The second point is the state action and to follow up uh, the third point here and one of the most dangerous ones is the idea of lawful sanctions. What they're saying then is that if there is a sanctioned action, anything from – depriving the civilians of a country of food uh, due to an economic sanction or a military incursion that results in the death uh, or mutilation of civilians, that does not count as torture. And this debate continues in the international sphere today. Uh, Regrettably, we can can probably already get a good spider sense of which countries have what positions – yeah. yeah. Well, especially if we go back to the top with that example mm-hmm. of the Navy airman who is, you know, telling people that he's been tortured and this is part of the Vietnam conflict and then you imagine historically what we know 
the U.S. military was doing to civilians in places all over North Vietnam. Sure. And, you know, it, since it's state-sanctioned, you know, we're talking about the 60s and 70s then during the Vietnam conflict. But so it's well before a decade before the UN says this is what torture is. But at the same time, both sides are doing one form of torture or another. That's a great point. And we should also note that in many cases, it's not as if the president or the ruling party or the monarch of a country said, you soldiers go out, torture people. Often this fog of war, mission creep would set in and there would be factions of people or officials acting relatively of their own accord, thinking that the ends justify the means. And so we can already see the problems with this definition, as lengthy as it is and as uh, specific as it attempts to be. But regardless of the imperfections, the concept itself seems noble, right? Stop torturing people, especially when there's not a lot of evidence that it works as intended. So case closed, right? Not so much. And we'll get into why after a quick sponsor break. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so... 
there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. The idea that everybody can agree to stop torturing people is uh, the idea that this worked is wrong. Unfortunately, it is so, so, so cartoonishly incorrect. According to the scholar Irvand Abramayan, although there were several decades of prohibition against torture generally agreed that spread from Europe to most parts of the world, by the 1980s, that that ban was functionally off. The taboo against torture had been broken. Yes, he argued that torture, quote, returned with a vengeance. And a lot of this had to do with the advent of television or the way television was kind of changing. And it presented an opportunity to break political prisoners and then broadcast the results um, the, the public recantations, kind of like we were mentioning at the top of the show, they wanted that airman to say, I don't believe in the, the ideologies of the United States government. Mm-hmm. They are wrong. That's what they want to be able to broadcast to everyone. Um, and the, the idea is that if you torture someone enough, you can change, you know, you can make them say what you want mm-hmm. for your ideological means. And, um, and just recanting, yeah, political beliefs, ide- using this ideological warfare and political mobilization and uh, the need to win the hearts and minds of people who exist in a country where war is being waged. Very it's, – it's Orwellian when you think about it. You know? mm-hmm. And if anything then, according to this expert, in the wake of the world wars, torture as a widespread practice momentarily, maybe, sort of, kind of little bit paused for a second. But now, if we fast forward a little closer to the modern age, uh, we find that that is not the case. According to Human Rights Watch, uh, between 2004 and 2005, over 16 countries were documented using torture, state-sponsored torture. Yeah, and then you go to the war on terror, the global war on terror, right? Mm -hmm. Where we know Black sites, we've covered this before on an episode. Black mm-hmm. sites have been used where torture occurs and it's not just the United States. Right. It is not just the – this is not just an episode picking on the United States and often these things are occurring through a second or third hand thing. There's mm-hmm. a proxy. Uh, so despite being banned, torture continues in countries around the globe and this ancient practice shows no signs of abating. In fact, our species has effectively leveraged technology to arrive at new forms of physical and psychological abuse. Uh, one thing we learned about in the course of our research, which initially didn't sound that bad, was the so-called cold cell treatment. And this come, this is an Uncle Sam uh, original Prisoners are placed in front of a large air conditioner unit running on full blast. That doesn't sound bad, right, at first? Probably kind of nice depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. I mean for the first day or for maybe even for the first week. But what about a month? What about a year? 
That is the so-called cold cell treatment. And we should make we should make a point that it's allegedly happened for years. Mm-hmm. But we're required technically to say allegedly. Yeah. I wonder what that does to the human body. And, I, and we don't have a lot of information about exactly how cold the air conditioner unit mm-hmm. gets to. But we're – I'm assuming if it's an air conditioner rather than some kind of – like a refrigeration device, it's probably in the lower to mid-60s. So it's probably – it's not fatal. It's probably more psychological. That's exactly what it is. So so what else have we found? What other technology have we turned to torturous ends? Uh, Electricity. That's one of the major things that's been used in modern times. Mm. Uh, Everything from cattle prods to stun guns to lasers being used by mostly – Mostly security forces like police forces um, and militaries. Hmm. And it's strange to imagine, especially in the United States, the the modern stun gun did not originate as a less than lethal weapon for police officers the way we, you know, nowadays see it a lot of the times, a taser, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a cattle prod and then it became a way to control prisoners specifically. Mm-hmm. Um and then it kind of evolved. Wow. And then also th- this would be g- – going to the earlier point made, Noel, about torture and fiction. Mm. This would be where a car battery is hooked up to something and then they yeah. they shock the person with the car battery. Which right? is a very real thing. Oh, absolutely. Here's a weird one. Mm-hmm. The so-called white torture. What is this? I don't know this. This sounds – this is psychological. But it sounds very strange. A prisoner is in solitary confinement and everything in their world, everything they encounter, including the food they eat and the plates they eat from, is white, it's blank white. Dude, you know that's in J-Lo's rider that like everything in her dressing room has to be white? Do you what? Think, do you think yeah. she originated? Maybe. This? They should call it the, the J-Lo torture. This, this is re- – that's, that's real. That's a thing? That's not some interior designer being, like, playful? No. I can imagine that being another psychological torture device that just, I don't know, somehow Just makes, wears on you? Yeah. Especially, like, can you imagine combining the cold cell, the white cold cell is what they would call mm-hmm. it? Ugh. With lights on all the time, also no human contact. Playing the same song over and over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that might sound like that's a lot for us to put on Jennifer Lopez. But <laughs> it is in her rider that everything has to be white. She has of, been responsible for, for some atrocities, though. That's true. That's have you true. seen Gigli? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I have not. I haven't either. I heard no. it was really bad. <laughs> Atrocity, maybe that's a little over, overstating <laughs> the case. So, I did like yeah, the cell, though. I did like the cell as well. I enjoyed it. I felt from uh, – from the perspective of cinematography, it was just stunning. The guy that directed that, Tarsim Singh, did those early REM videos, very 90s kind of tableaus with like the rotating the mm-hmm. the platform that he's on with the – anyway, that, it, that guy basically invented the look of yeah. like the Pearl Jam video from the 90s and those mm-hmm. – anyway. He's got some amazing other movies uh-huh. too. With The Fall. The Fall is a good one. Oh, and speaking of music, this brings us to another form of technologically advanced torture – that uh, long-time listeners are familiar with. 
Yeah, it's just music torture, right? Like, and I think a part of it doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly loud, but whenever you see it uh, done, and you dramatized in, in film, it's usually some absurd stack of, you know, bass in the trunk kind of car stereo speakers that are just blasting the stuff at really high decibel levels. Uh, we're talking about, you know, the idea I think is repetition, mm-hmm. right? So it would be yes. the same song over and over and over and over again, whether it's Metallica or Britney Spears or even a very popular one, Ben, I think you mentioned before on another episode is the Barney song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you know that guy's a tantric sex guru now? The does guy he, that played Barney? The, does he still wear the costume? No, I think he's, he's just... <laughs> oh. Oh, I need to get that out of my head he mainly, already. He mainly just wears scented oils and lotions oh. and nothing else. Oh. <laughs> and a fine, a fine musk. Mm-hmm. The, the other practice that we found was uh, force feeding, including using um, some medical advances to feed people rectally, similar to uh, – uh, gross real-life version of that South Park trope. Yeah, and a lot of this you'll see in the news. um, It's not necessarily used as a torture but as a way to keep people who are prisoners alive if they're having some kind of protest Mm -hmm. where they're they're doing self-starvation in protest of their captivity. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's, it's crazy to think that the method to preserve someone's life can also be used to torture them. Yes, yeah. And that goes into an ethical question as well. You know, this is something that we didn't discuss off air, but it just occurred to me now. If somebody wants to die, right, if they want to commit uh, medically assisted suicide of their own accord and they are legally required to stay alive, is that this in, in a state of pain, perhaps from a chronic condition, is that the state? aiding in torture or is you know what's the line there that's a tough ethical question we should um is there an ethicist in the house paul are you an ethicist okay gotta gotta no, know. We gotta, hard, gotta know. hard hard, hard no <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that's in that's something we i wonder if the un has pondered that i haven't seen anything uh anything recently at least well and let's just i, I, I don't know i'm gonna talk about the elephant in the room, or at least my elephant. You know, the UN kind of gets a lot of flack as being a somewhat toothless organization. Like, you can make these resolutions, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, it's just kind of, you know, words on paper. Mm-hmm. There's very little enforcement ability that the UN has. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you are correct. The The primary power structure of the United Nations is the UN Security Council and they can – each member of the UN Security Council can veto an entire concept. So it has to – things have to pass unanimously. So it is very, 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 very difficult. It's not as bad and ineffectual as the predecessor, the League of Nations. But yeah, you're, you're spot on. When do words on paper translate to substantive change? 
Yeah, no, that, 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 that kind of is the question. And that's sort of, you know, when we're talking about the shift of, of consciousness um, as a country when we decide as a people that torture is not okay. But yet if, if it still is thought by some as being an effective tool, whether or not there are resolutions on the books or not, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if you think it's going to get the job done, you're probably going to figure out a way to get around it and do it, you know, especially when we have things like black sites and, you know, stuff where there's very little oversight and you have um, heads of these divisions that essentially act as gods of their little fiefdoms, you know. So it, it's tough. You like, can't, uh, yeah. Like secret police, mm-hmm. for instance, yep. throughout a lot of uh, throughout a lot of recent history. And that's the point. That is the stuff they don't want you to know. Yeah. Here in this in this episode, it's the fact that there are numerous active conspiracies as we speak. We're not talking about 1993. We're not talking about 1974. We're not talking about 2007. We're talking about 2018. As we are recording this, there are numerous active cover-ups and conspiracies allowing various governments around the world, including the United States, but not limited to Uncle Sam, to commit torture, either through proxies or euphemisms like enhanced interrogation or good old-fashioned secret police, uh, as as you guys pointed out, black sites, off-the-line-item budgets, written out of your history books, and we might never know what happens with it. And this forces us to ask about the future of torture. And we'll get into that right after a quick word from our sponsor. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back, and Noel, you brought up this excellent point, especially in the case of U.S. intelligence services, military arms. The primary argument for these techniques is that is something along the lines of, well, they might be deplorable, but they do result in valuable or what they would call actionable intelligence that can ultimately save lives. And the scenario you'll often hear uh, described by people supporting these programs is the following. It's something called the ticking time bomb scenario. Yeah, imagine that you're an authority figure, right? Whether this is law enforcement, military, maybe an intelligence officer working for the CIA, whatever it is, you have absolute certainty that there will be some form of attack, a terrorist attack probably, and it's going to happen in the near to immediate future, Mm -hmm. but you don't know exactly where, you don't know exactly when, how do you find out? This is the big quandary. How do you gain that information without you know, stumbling upon a piece of paper that has it written out. So let's take it a step further and say that maybe maybe we are those investigators and we have one or more suspects in custody and with the same amount of certitude, we know that they know where the attack will be. Maybe we have it narrowed down to three cities, Mm -hmm. but they know which city and which day. And we know that, you know, torture is banned. Um, it may still be one of the only ways to extract information, this kind of information, before hundreds of thousands of innocent people die, or at least that's the, the justification, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this this is often depicted as the ultimate dilemma, at least for modern times, regarding torture. And experts continue to debate it today, whether or not it's a good idea to save all of these lives by torturing this person? Can you even get information that would be reliable enough mm-hmm. to save people if you did indeed torture one of these suspects? There's there's a lot to unpack there. Right. Like, do you or do we in this scenario want to be responsible for thousands of innocent people dying because we refuse to bend or break the law? Yeah, and international law. That's set forth by, you know, the United Nations and look, it's just one of those things. Like it's a big moral quandary that seems to have probably the most weight behind it in our modern times. So now our question becomes if we want to be Machiavellian, if we want to cast morals aside, now our question shifts a little and it's the, the ultimate question here. Does it work? As we alluded to earlier in the show, does physically or psychologically torturing someone compel them to provide truthful, useful information? The answer is no. 
torture does not work, at least in the way that the tormentors might publicly intend. Again, that's publicly. So there's an article uh, from Scientific American uh, by a guy named Michael Shermer, and it's called, We've Known for 400 Years That Torture Doesn't Work. Uh, In this article, there is a fascinating anecdote about the Duke of Brunswick in Germany during the time of the Inquisition. He goes to visit the inquisitors and he wants to oversee their use of torture to extract information from people accused of witchcraft, right? The majority of whom were women. So the Jesuits told the Duke that the inquisitors are doing their duty. They're only arresting people who have been implicated in the confessions of other witches when they were put to the question, which Mm. was the term for torture. And so the Duke's a little bit skeptical and he thinks, well, maybe people just say anything to get this to stop. So he invited the Jesuits to come visit him uh, and go with him to a dungeon to witness a woman being stretched on the rack, second degree of torture, like, like we had mentioned earlier. And the Duke said to this lady, while she's mid-torture, by the way, mm. he says, now, woman, you are a confessed witch. I suspect these two men of being warlocks. What do you say? And he looks at the executioners and he says, another turn of the rack, executioners. And the woman immediately said, no, 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 you are quite right. I have often seen them at the Sabbath. They can turn themselves into goats, wolves, and other animals. Several witches have had children by them. One woman even had eight children whom these men fathered. The children had heads like toads and legs like spiders. And the Duke turned to the Jesuits and said, should I torture you until you confess? Jeez. You get real creative when you're uh, put to the question. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's that's how we know. Like the problem with torture is if the primary goal is to receive truthful information, again, morals aside, then we have to think of the primary goal of the victim, mm-hmm. which is just to stop this immense unending pain. Well, and also mentioned in that article is something that has really shaped the way I've viewed torture over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, Christopher Hitchens, a writer that I very much – uh, admired to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, several years ago, while he was still living, he was work- he was writing for Vanity Fair still, and he went and he was himself waterboarded. And you know, he was famously hawkish about war, mm-hmm. believing that there were there were good reasons to go to war and to eliminate terrorism and all. And you know, you can look at his views, but he didn't believe that waterboarding was that big of a deal. But he went, it occurred to him, and uh, his quote from the article was, if waterboarding does not constitute torture, then there is no such thing as torture because he had a terrible experience. He almost immediately after being subjected to the water pouring on his head, he he said, no, that felt like I was drowning. That is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I'm sure most listeners know what waterboarding is. But I mean, just to set the scene, it's like you've got a rag over your face. There is, a, you know, a, a, just a torrent of water being poured over your mouth and nose to the point where it's 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 constant enough that you just can't catch your breath. And I'm imagining that the rag is creating almost a suction against your face where you just like are totally incapable of drawing breath. And so I would argue that this is not only a physical torture because we know it's very unpleasant physically when you can't breathe. It's also a psychological torture because it's this sensation that it's creating of not being able to catch your breath and of dying, of drowning, which sounds 
terrifying. Well, yeah, and the whole point of this whole thing, though, is that Christopher Hitchens was alluding to the fact that he would have said anything to make that stop. And he can't imagine – he couldn't imagine experiencing that as someone like being told, you know where X is. You know what time it's going to happen. Tell me where it is and then proceed with the torture over and over and over. It just seems so counterintuitive to me that, that, that people would think that this is a smart way to get people to tell them the truth. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me that it's obvious that it would be the opposite. Yeah, it's a it's a smart way to get people to tell you whatever you want them to say. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether or not it's true is, is very, very different. And, and this ticking time bomb thought experiment, let's be honest, it's way too cut and dry. In reality, if there's someone in captivity, they may or may not be responsible for this thing, right? They may or may not have accurate information even if they are responsible. Maybe they're not on the inner circle for some specific operation. Then they might not know anything useful. Uh, they might just make stuff up out of whole cloth. Like the, like the toad heads. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Like, that's like creative writing type stuff. Yeah. Like you, know, you are going to dig deep into your imagination for you – know, to make that rack tightening cease. Absolutely. And despite the continued practices of what we could call gray area interrogation and or torture, the U.S. government itself publicly agrees that torture is not really effective. Uh, There was a 2014 report by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. They analyzed millions of internal CIA documents related to the torture of people suspected of terrorism. And the Senate concluded the CIA's use of its enhanced interrogation techniques was not an effective means of acquiring intelligence or gaining cooperation from detainees. It also adds that multiple CIA detainees fabricated information resulting in faulty intelligence. And that leads us to ask, if torture doesn't work, what does? Is there something better than torture? Well, <laughs> yeah, pretty much the opposite of torture. There, there are multiple studies that show that this might be the thing, the way to get information from people, building rapport. It, it works wonders and it has a significantly higher chance of creating a successful relationship between interrogator and interrogatee mm-hmm. <laughs> um, by actually being – like showing empathy and I understand your situation. I mean there's a whole host of lines you can go down. For sure. I guess the problem there is though if you have people that are trained, they are hardened to the point where they – they're just not – they're not going to play nice with you mm-hmm. at all you know i mean it's one thing if you're like a scared kid or like someone who's been accused of a crime and you're just all you know you don't know which way is up you could probably coerce someone into telling you some stuff and getting them to cry and talk about their mommy or something like i'm i'm being a jerk but you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. but if someone is like a trained a terrorist or an operative of some kind i don't i don't think that's going to work I don't know. You might find that there's – Really? I should just be nicer? I'm just saying there. you might find that there is a vulnerable human inside each and every one of us. It also depends on the x-axis of time. That's that's fair. So if someone is detained for life with no human contact – Isn't that torture in and of itself? Except for you, it is. It is. But it's it's a chess-level torture. Yeah. And the the thing is that it it, it appears to – it appears to work. There are different studies that confirm – there's one called the who, what, and why of human intelligence gathering 
from this journal, Applied Cognitive Psychology. They surveyed 152 interrogators and they found that rapport and relationship building techniques were employed most often and perceived to be the most effective regardless of context and intended outcome, particularly, they found, in comparison to confrontational techniques. And that's from the interrogators themselves. Wow. Yeah, there's another study called Interviewing High-Value Detainees. It sampled 64 practitioners and detainees, and it found that, quote, detainees were more likely to disclose meaningful information and earlier in the interview when rapport-building techniques were used. So those are two examples of studies that find this approach superior to confrontational Mm -hmm. or uh, abusive behavior, although I I do appreciate the point of uh, rapport building and solitary confinement uh, being just another form of torture, arguably. With these stories we hear from various global conflicts in the study of torture, they indicate the same conclusions, not just from academics and historians, but from the firsthand accounts of other interrogators And so we have to ask ourselves if torture does not work, at least in terms of providing truthful information or eliciting it, if it only blinds someone to the point that they will say something, anything to prevent further abuse, then why do we as a species persist? There are several reasons and absolutely none of them are appealing. First, in some belief systems, certain methods of punishment may be prescribed for certain types of transgressions. This is where you hear about traditional methods of punishment, right, or uh, execution for the violation of socio-spiritual mores. It's just that's a word I made up. I'm going to stick with it. What mores? Intense word. Socio-spiritual. And then there's the other one. Second, torture is also used successfully to some degree to send a message and Mm -hmm. this goes to an anecdote. Now, I know there's a touchy geopolitical situation with Russia right now but there's a short short story or an account of what happened when the Soviet Union at the time had four Soviet diplomats kidnapped in 1985. Did you all hear about this? I have no recollection of this. So – In 1985, these four Soviet diplomats were kidnapped by a fundamentalist group called the Islamic Liberation Organization. They dispatched – Russia dispatched something called its Alpha Group. They were tasked with counterterrorism hostage rescue situations. They learned that uh, one of the hostages had been killed, a guy named Arkady Katkov. And so – What they did is they tracked down and located one of the leaders of the kidnappers or possibly a relative and they wanted to send a message to the terrorist. They tortured this person that they captured with absolutely no intention of gaining information, absolutely no intention of letting them survive. Alpha group castrated the hostage cut him into pieces, and sent pieces of him to the hostage takers. And they also said, we know who your other relatives are. And we know where they live, and we know their routines. The three hostages were released and dropped off near the Soviet embassy, and there there haven't been Russian officials taken captive since then. Uh, And then people argue back and forth this, this scary story, but what it what it shows is that their goal in torture then was not to learn anything new. 
Their goal was to send a signal, just like in the early days of civilization, where someone said, let us make an example, a disgusting, repugnant example. Yeah, rather than flaying some prisoners and putting them on spikes throughout your whole mm-hmm. kingdom, you just cut one person up to take this one group out. And you could argue, again, morals aside, that that was a short-term solution, that the signaling did result in the release of those other hostages. But over the long term, is that a solution? I don't know. But for now, uh, the practice of torture continues. Uh, We had talked before about several – like we mentioned several forms of torture uh, that seem arcane but are still around, right? Like – Noel, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about uh, foot whipping, you had told me before that that's not an ancient practice, right? Right. Well, I mean, maybe the origins of it are, but I, I know there was an incident with, um, I believe it was Kusei Hussein, who participated in whipping the feet of, um, I believe it was an Iraqi soccer team. You know about this? The whole team? I think so. Yeah, apparently Uday Hussein was a pretty sore loser when the um, a group of Iraqi soccer stars um, did not win the Asian Cup um, and he had them tortured by uh, having the soles of their feet whipped after losing the World Cup qualifying match. Um, so yeah, it's definitely something that's still around. And that's technically – that's going to be state-sponsored then because he was a Hussein. Yeah. Wow. Well, boys, I I feel awful. (laughs) Well, there's a silver lining, right? (laughs) What? I don't know. Uh, We were just talking (laughs) off air about, you know, the future of torture. Maybe there's a a kind of torture that doesn't really hurt you physically. Oh, okay. Some sort of virtual torture? Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys seen Altered Carbon, the Netflix show? Mm-hmm. I, have, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's got problems, but uh, there's a particular scenario where there's this like shop or it looks like a medical facility where a somebody who wants to extract information can pay these techs to put somebody under. You kind of uh, have to abduct them first. So yeah. there's that. Shoot them up in the neck with some kind of you know sleepy meds. And then um, you put them on this table and put all these electrodes attached to their brain and they end up in a virtual room where somebody can go in there and wreak all kinds of virtual havoc on them. And apparently, you know, there's like a a readout of the way their body's reacting. Um, and while it's all psychological, they apparently feel it in the virtual world, right? Mm. Yeah. It's it's a terrifying extrapolation of both virtual reality and torture, mm-hmm. certainly. And I can imagine a world, this world, where there is some type of interface that makes it, it blurs the line between real and virtual. Like the the... AR stuff that we are seeing right now, um, augmented reality and virtual reality. I can totally imagine that occurring. I wonder how effective it would be or well, if it would be the thing. same thing. Ben, do you, do you not still think the ethical quandaries still apply and also the efficacy? Yeah, absolutely. They would still apply at least in the psychological sense because the unless the person's mind was also erased they or their experience was also erased, they would still remember this and build bear the psychological burden of what occurred, sort of like you can wake up from a nightmare, but you still remember it and Mm. you're still going to affect your behavior. Sure. 
So perhaps it's still better than the alternative of shredding people's tongues or flaying them, but it's a, a difference of degree, Absolutely. one might say. Yeah. Man, I watched a video on the brazen bull to get ready for this, and uh, I yes. I almost didn't even want to bring it up. But it's a thing where they put him inside of a thing. It's a statue made out of bronze, or at least theoretically, there is there has not one been found. Like yeah. they've never actually seen a full brazen bull. I just read accounts of it. Yeah, but it was a statue of a bull that was large enough for a human to fit inside and they would put a fire on the bottom of it and the entire thing would heat up because of the substance it's made of. All of the metal it quickly heats up to the same temperature. The person inside is pretty much cooked and it was – oh, there was also this whole thing where there's stories or at least accounts of the bull makes an actual bull sound when the person is being cooked and it's based on the idea of a the single – uh, air hole that goes into the bowl is actually from the mouth of mm -hmm. this brazen bull statue. And the only way to get oxygen as as smoke is filling up the bowl and you're in there being cooked and dying is to breathe through that hole and it makes like a cow sound when you're breathing through it. Mm. It was the most horrifying thing. I mean, there are gross, terrible things of cutting up and all this, mm -hmm. but the concept of being locked into an oven in that way while you can hear whoever is in charge like laughing because it's supposedly done as like a form of entertainment. And not only punishment but entertainment. Well, that goes into when we're talking about some of these older civilizations where the torture was kind of entertainment. Like even, you know, being a gladiator, for example, that was a punishment that was a form of torture. I mean, you had a fighting chance, I guess, but it was also done for, you know, the amusement of the government and then to keep the people happy with the bread and circuses and all that stuff. And religion was also functioning as government too yeah. for much of the time. So if it was a religious practice, if we must, you know, rip the hearts out of the living so that the sun continues to rise or that the eclipse ends, then it's still – still a state-sponsored action. Mm -hmm. And this brings us to questions for you folks. Do you believe that torture does produce results? Do you believe that the, the ends justify the macabre means? Uh, and if so or if not, why? Uh, we would like to hear from you. Uh, we also – this is the part of the show where Matt Knoll and I uh, let you know that we are on the internet. That's all true. We are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, join our discussion page. Here's where it gets crazy, uh, where you can find us interacting from time mm -hmm. to time. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, but we're not just on the internet anymore, folks. The rumors are true. We've branched out to another platform, the good old telephone. Yes, we now have a toll-free number that you can call and leave us a voice message. And spoiler alert, we might make a couple episodes where we feature you on the show. Okay, it's going to happen. But we just need you to leave the messages. So here it is. Write this down. Put it in your phone. Do what you got to do. 833-STDWYTK. Let's do that again with numbers. 833 833 
888-888-9985. If you call that number right now, you will hear Ben's voice and then leave a message. That's all. It's super simple. Hey, and if you uh, you know have some sort of phone aversion, you don't like touching plastic buttons, mm-hmm. um, I guess that could apply to a keyboard, dude. doesn't matter if it's a specific phone aversion. You can reach us on the internet. Like Ben said, we are there at uh, Conspiracy Stuff Show on uh, Instagram and just Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, and if you don't want to do any of that stuff, phone, internet, fax. <laughs> yeah. We don't have a fax, but we should. We should. That should be our next antiquated uh, communication <laughs> means that we come up with. That would actually be amazing would if be we cool. had a fax machine yeah. that just sat next to Oh, my yeah. gosh. Could, yeah, it makes a cool sound. That's for sure. All right. That's next. And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.